tired in following Jesus, tired in being a Christian, just worn out? Well, Jesus says, great, I am here for you. That does not mean you're a failure. It, It means you're normal. Everyone gets tired, but I am here to meet your needs. So resting, we're going to learn today this lesson. We're going to emphasize this one part. Resting is going to be the strategy that God commands us to use to experience his power to transform us. Resting is going to be the strategy God uses to empower us and to strengthen us and to transform us. Resting. It's very strange. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 is a verse for introduction. It says, Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So I didn't just make up that Jesus was the thing that was causing this shadow. It's very much biblical. All Sabbath requirements for Israel that we're reading about today are completely fulfilled in Jesus. God commanded his people to rest on the Sabbath. God commanded them to stop trying to get ahead on the Sabbath. I mean, they were like farming all day long, every day, doing all kinds of herding and shepherding and farming and whatever you did back then. And he said, you got to stop one day a week. Stop trying to get ahead. And God would provide what they needed through a restful day. He didn't give them another job to do. And, and so God, for us, he, he becomes our rest. But it's not just a restful day. For us, it's a restful life. We get all of Jesus. We get the real thing. So let's go ahead and get into our text, which is in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. And the Bible says, Speak also to the children of Israel, God is talking, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So this is one of those verses that gives us one of the names of God. Yahweh Kadash. Some people say Jehovah Kadash or whatever, however you want to say his name. The Lord who sanctifies you. Just like all the different parts of the tabernacle that we've learned about as we've been going through Exodus, um, and all the commandments that God has given, all everything in this book talks about who? Jesus, right, good answer. And, and it all foreshadows Jesus. He's the substance, the thing that causes these shadows. He, he exists, he existed back then, but the shadow was being cast and God was giving it through the tabernacle, through the commandments. And we usually think of a shadow following the real thing. But here, the, in, in all of the book of Exodus, the rest of the Sabbath and everything that God is giving us here is preceding the real thing that Jesus brings us. So God says that this Sabbath, all the Sabbaths, are a sign of the relationship that he wants with his people. It's a sign, he says, that I am the Lord God who sanctifies you. He says, so what is this a sign of? It's a sign that he is Yahweh Kadesh, which in Hebrew means the Lord who sanctifies you, which means for our, in our language, I am the one who purifies you and transforms you. God says that. I'm the one that's going to do that for you. And the Sabbaths 
are a sign that God wants to do this for you. So he literally gives them one day a week where he says, please don't work on this day because I want this day to teach you that I want to serve you. I want to purify you. I want to transform you. So that's what these days were all about. Um, He doesn't give them a sign of a hammer and an anvil of how he's going to transform them. Even though that's what I feel like it should be sometimes when I look at some of my own characteristics and I wish God would hammer them out of me. I wish he would form me, but force me to do what's right. But that is not the way that God works. He wants me to rest in him. Very different. It's not a uh, mountain to climb. He doesn't say, here, if you climb this mountain, I will do the work of transforming you. That's not the relationship he wants. It's not anything I'm supposed to do. He says, literally, stop doing all the things. Stop. Rest. Just stop. Keeping the Sabbath means just stop doing stuff. That's what he says. And this is a picture God wants us to see and meditate on. Stop doing stuff. Just imagine Jesus saying, stop doing stuff. Just relax. Let me do the stuff. Relax. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 is going to teach us how resting is the way sanctification works. It says in, he, in Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God has chosen to clean us up and sanctify us because he loves you. Not because you've proven yourself to him, not because you're better than all the people from another country or another culture. He's chosen you because he really loves you. And he says the way that he sanctifies us, the way that he changes us is through Jesus. He says Jesus does the work to cleanse us and make us holy. That's the work of Jesus. And when did it say in this verse that it was finished? When? No, in this verse It says it was finished before the foundations of the world. That's very strange because our next verse, John 4.34, says this, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay. And then do you remember when Jesus said he finished this work? On the cross. He said, it is almost done. No? That's not what he said? It is done except for all the stuff you have to do. Really? Really. He said, it is finished. It is complete. The work that was needed to transform us, to sanctify us, was completed on the cross. Everything needed to transform you from the dirty, rotten sinner that you are into the child of God that he is making us into, was done on the cross. And that's why his name is Yahweh Kadesh, or 
the Lord who sanctifies us. He is the one who wants to do this. What was the sign of this work again? The sign was resting, the Sabbath. That's how we're going to learn and experience his finished work for our lives. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, okay, so he finished everything on the cross, so how do I make that real in my life? And God says, I gave that to you already. All you have to do is rest in it. Rest in it. Isn't that a better message than, here's the list of things you need to do to get everything done. Here is the laws and here is the works that you need to do to prove that you really want to be changed by God, to prove that God should give you his grace. That's not how it works. God says the sign was always Sabbath. It was always rest. That is the way he would change us and transform us. That's what it, it it means when he says my name is Yahweh Kadesh. So would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We got to see some, some of uh, this, a big chunk of Hebrews chapter 4 actually is what we're going to look at right now. So you got to understand, keeping the Sabbath day was absolutely required. In fact, we're going to learn later today, if you did not keep the Sabbath day, what happened to you? You were killed. In the, in the nation of Israel, you were put to death for working on the Sabbath day. That's how serious it was. So keeping the Sabbath was required for Jews. And even today, when I've been to Israel, and if you go to Israel, you will see that on Saturday, nothing happens. Even their elevators, you're not allowed to push a button on an elevator. They, they are programmed to just go up to each level and stop. You cannot go, push a button in the elevator. It's against the law. Now, they don't go around killing people, but... They've set it up so that you're not doing it. But they had to. It was a must command to follow the the Sabbath. And, and, And for us, it's actually the same thing, except instead of all the all the rules of like what you can't do and just sit there and just rest and just relax, God commands us to rest in the finished work of Jesus. It is a command and it's just as serious because your spiritual life is on the line. And if you choose, I don't want to rest in Jesus, you're going to experience spiritual death and dryness. And we all have experienced that, but God is so merciful. He brings us back day after day. And hopefully today is another day where we're back believing what Jesus has done for us. So look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let's read verse 10 first. He says, For he who has entered his rest, that means anyone who chooses to believe that Jesus did what he said he would do, has also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So to, to enter his rest... You and I have to, we must cease all of our works. That's what he says. And what that means is we have to renounce all self-sufficiency. Renounce all self-sufficiency. Cease from our works. And so what do we do then? If I have to stop talking about all the things I'm doing so that God should bless me, 
If I have to, if I, God is saying, stop talking about yourself. Stop thinking that I am mad at you or I'm, I need more from you. Stop all that. Instead of that, what are we supposed to do then? Well, we're supposed to praise Jesus for his works. We're supposed to remember his works. We're supposed to put our trust in his works. We're supposed to place our confidence in his works and apply his finished work to our lives. And that sounds like what a Christian was supposed to do the whole time. But we get so self-focused, don't we? We get so bogged down with, wait, what, what do I do again? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be and change and do and be sanctified? And Jesus is like, stop freaking out. Stop. Works. Cease from your works. Relax and trust what I did was actually good enough. What I did actually worked. He said here we were supposed to be diligent to enter that rest. Being diligent and resting don't seem like the same thing, but Jesus says you're going to have to think daily. You're going to have to be diligent about stopping your trying. Because naturally we just fall back into, I got to do all the things. I got to be more. I got to do more. I'm so sorry. I'm so lame. I'm so, ah. Uh. And God is like, you got to be diligent to put your trust in Jesus daily. Learn to stay in that place. So let's back up now into verse one of Hebrews chapter four, and let's see the whole like text and the whole context of what it says. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, this whole thing is a promise. He says, let us Fear. Now, the Bible doesn't say to fear very many things. It says, fear the Lord, and that's pretty much it. And then we get to this point where he says, but you should be afraid lest any of you seem to come short of it, that any Christian falls back into that performance-based relationship with God, where it's working and it's trying and it's, did I prove myself today? Did I do enough today? Did I work hard enough today? Did I give enough? Did I sacrifice enough? Did I give God my best? Paul's, or whoever wrote Hebrews says, be afraid of that life. Be afraid that you're not entering into his rest. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. There, he tells us how to enter the rest, how to get this restful life and experience where you're just like, I'm a child of God and he loves me and I have all that Jesus has promised me. It belongs to me. What did he say you have to do? Believe. Believe what? Believe the word. Who's the word? Jesus. You're believing in his completed work. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Not, I believe in Jesus. I believe he lived 2,000 years ago. I believe he died. I believe in Jesus. That is not what it means. It means you believe his completed work is for you. You believe in what he did. That's what it means to believe. And that's how we enter his rest, is believing. So you're telling me when I have a bad day, and when I sin, and when I fall short, God does not want me to make it up to him? No, that is absolutely what I'm saying. That is true. He does not want you to make it up to him. 
You making it up to God is saying Jesus is not good enough for me and my failures. God does not say, make it up to me. He says, repent, which means agree with him that it's sin and turn your eyes to Jesus and say, forgive me and believe that the finished work on the cross means you're forgiven, you're loved, and you're restored into perfect relationship with God. Isn't that a better thing? Doesn't that just make you want to praise Jesus and do a jig of love to Jesus? All right, it does. It, it creates a, man, grateful heart. Okay, so the next, then he goes on and he says, And he said, I, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works are finished from the foundation of the world. So those who, get this, those who don't believe in the finished, completed work of Jesus, those who don't believe in Jesus, he says here, they will never have rest. He's really serious about it. I have sworn on my wrath, he said. I will, they will never, God will never allow them to taste the restful waters of grace if they don't believe Jesus was sufficient. Jesus is the only door to the restful pastures. He is the only one who can bring rest to our souls because this is how it works. When we are trying to make it up to God, when we're trying to please God, when we're trying to sanctify ourselves, do you ever get there? No, you always fall a million miles short, no matter how hard you try. And everyone who tells you, oh, I got there by trying, they're lying to you. Because <laughs> they did not. They do not have the peace they're selling you. Only in Christ can we have the peace and the rest. Because he's the only one who's finished the work. If you follow Buddha today, what is, going, what is your life going to look like? A ton of work. You always have to study. You always have to go further to reach this level of nirvana. If you follow Muhammad today, what is your life going to look like? Works, works, works. If you're Jehovah's Witness, works. Mormon, works, works, works. And sadly, many Christians, it looks exactly the same. Works, works, works. Huge, vast swaths of the entire church. It is so focused on works. Whose works are we supposed to be focused on? Jesus. Whose works are we supposed to believe in? Jesus. That's the only way to happiness, joy, and peace is resting. And, and he says it's a promise. If you believe, it is a promise and you may have it. You can rest. It belongs to you. My life has been so filled with stress and anger and, and just I'm not there. You can have it today. You can be there today. How do you know that? You don't know what I've been through. I know I don't. But God has commissioned me and commissioned you to tell people that they may have all of Christ today. You can have all of him. Everything that he bought for everybody, it is good for you today, and it is good enough for you today. Then he goes on in this text. He says, For God, he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. What's the seventh day? The Sabbath, where God rested, right? God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, you shall not, you, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, 
and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time, it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm going to summarize that by just saying, You and I, we can be disobedient today if we don't believe that the works are finished. That is what disobedience is. It's saying, Jesus said he did it, but I don't believe it. There's got to be something that I have to do. There has to be something. God says, that is disobedience and you will not enter my rest. Well, I don't want to be disobedient. If we think deliverance comes from some other way except Jesus dying on the cross, we are being disobedient. If we think we need to wait until we do something really great to earn God's blessing, then we don't really think Jesus did anything by dying on the cross. If we don't sit and rest in what he did on the cross, we're choosing to harden our hearts through self-works, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is the hard heart. I don't need Jesus because I got me. I don't need God because I am. If I just gave a little more, I'd be okay. God would accept me. Something would work out for me. If I just tried a little bit harder, God says that's a hard heart. That is rebellion. And I can't even let you into my promised land. I can't even let you have the rest and the peace because it must be by Christ that we enter in. It goes on, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterwards spoken for another day. There therefore remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered he, his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So Joshua he actually did lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He followed who? Moses, right? Moses was the first leader. He was not allowed to take the people into the promised land because Moses represents the Ten Commandments. Whereas Joshua, he represents Jesus. He literally has the same name. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is Joshua. So Joshua represented Jesus taking people into the promised land by faith. But Joshua spoke of another day where they would really get all that God had for them. And that other day was the day that Jesus would come and complete all the works. Jesus would come and do everything that was needed to be done. So now, today, since Jesus has come, the Sabbath day is a real thing. It's not just a day where we sit on our butts and don't do anything. It's a life where all the works are done and I am completely at rest from all that I thought I needed to do to save myself and to change myself. It is freedom. And he says here, disobedience is simply not resting in what Jesus has done. It's ignoring the Sabbath day. That's what disobedience is. Ignoring what Jesus did to give you the Sabbath life. Not the Sabbath day, the Sabbath life. Okay, so back in Exodus chapter 31, we're getting back to our text, and it goes on. I think we're in like 14 or 15 now. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath. God says, please, guys, 
Keep the Sabbath. Therefore, it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For everyone who does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Does God really care about the day? Is this a magic day? No. God cares about his son. And God cares that the shadow, the foreshadow of his son stays true. And that shadow, he says, is a big deal. It's life and death because our relationship to the son is life or death. That's why it's such a big deal. God commands to keep the Sabbath or you die. God is pretty serious about his picture of Jesus, like I said. It's the work of his son that's being pictured. And God's heart, listen, God's heart is deeply affected by anything connected to his son. Why do you think that would be? Because God loves his son perfectly. Their relationship is perfect love. And so anything connected with Jesus is going to move God's heart in extreme ways. So if you reject his son, all of God's wrath and anger must be poured out on you. Because, not that he hates you, he loves his son so much. It's like if someone came in and just took one of my boys and started beating him up or something like that. Let's pick Ezekiel. I don't know. (laughs) Just a random, you were the first one I looked at. My heart, I don't care who that person is, I'm going to come flying at them with fists of fury. I don't know who it is. I'm not like full of wrath at them because they grew up, whatever, I don't care. I just love my son. See, it's about I love you. Not that I wanted you to get beat up, see? He's like, don't ever use me as an illustration in church. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So God's heart is extremely moved by Jesus. Now now check this out. Jesus he came to this earth and, and all throughout eternity, in, before the foundation of the world, all in eternity, future and past, Jesus has always done what was right. He has always been obedient and he has always been the perfect son. He has always done what was right. He always pleased his father. Everything Jesus has ever done has brought so much joy and passionate um, pleasure to God, the father. That, that God's response to Jesus has always been, oh, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. I didn't just make all that up. That's literally what he said. I am, you are so beloved by me. I love you so much, and I am so pleased by everything you have ever done, Jesus. That is God's heart. His heart is so moved that he cannot help but respond when another human pleads the blood of Christ. When another human says, I believe in the work Jesus did, God says, you will be so loved, I will never cease to give you grace and love. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never reject you, not because you're great, because I don't care that much about what you have done, I am, you have pled the blood of my son and he is always before my face. His obedience has pleased me so much that I cannot help 
but respond to you. And that's what we see the New Testament is all about. He says, when someone pleads the blood of my son, I will respond with love and grace. When someone says, it's not about me, but it's about Jesus, they get love and grace, period. It doesn't matter what they've done, they will be forgiven. It doesn't matter who they are, they will be honored and respected because they have chosen to honor the son who God honors, who God loves, and who God respects. It's almost unbelievable when we look at it from our perspective that God would accept sinners like us. And not just accept us, but adopt us. And not just adopt us, but equip us and give us everything we need for life and godliness and, 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 and pour out blessings upon us. Why would he do such a thing? It is not ever because you did anything. Period. It's not ever because you prayed a prayer, and it's not ever because you were better than Hitler. Because we're not that much better. We're all guilty of the same crimes. All of us. It's only ever because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. The work was finished. When we see Jesus plead his own blood before the Father on our behalf, we see the Father cannot ignore such a holy and beautiful petition. When Jesus says, Father... I love these people and I ask that you forgive them because of this blood and my acts of obedience, my work. The father will always say, yes, of course I will. Isn't that great, guys? The father pours mercy and grace on any person who pleads the blood of his son, who believes in it. Not because of any good they've done, simply because of the infinite weight that blood carries in the heart of the Father in heaven. Isn't that a cool description? But the opposite is also true. Whoever does, whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among his people, our text said. Any person that comes before God and pleads their own works, what happens? They are cut off immediately. They receive no favor from God. He does not care about your good works because he's comparing them with whose works? Jesus. And do your works measure up to Jesus' works? No. So give up. Stop bringing them before God and saying, please answer my prayer because I gave 10%. Please answer my prayer because I tried my best to be nice to my wife. Please change her because, yeah. That's, those are not prayers that God is, is listening to. You're pleading your own works. It's, I do nothing right, Lord. And if I ever do anything right, it's because your spirit did it in me. Your spirit caused me to do that. And Lord, I need nothing but more of your spirit. Please take control of my life. Please Change me. Help me to love my children. <laughs> None of them looked at me when I said that. <laughs> They're all thinking about the Patriots getting beat today. That's right. Okay. The opposite is also true. God, you know, he can't accept any works except the works of his son. 
So we have to give up trying to present them before God and say, help me because I blank. We have to give that up. Look what he says in our text. Work shall be done six days, but on the seventh it is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath, he will be surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel must shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout all their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. If we confidently trust in the finished work of Jesus, we will experience his rest and be refreshed just as he did. Or we can put our hope in something else, and the result will always be death. There is no life outside of the author of life, Jesus Christ. And then it says, and when he has made an end, or sorry, it it continues the narrative, and he made an end of speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So he's kind of wrapping up all that he's told him here. And all that Moses has been given, all these amazing foreshadows of Christ, they are now written in stone. And I think that's pretty cool, okay? Because God has seen how Jesus will do all the work, You know, he's outside of time, God is. So to him, Jesus has already done the work. It was already finished before the foundations of the earth. We saw that in in Ephesians, right? So he puts it in stone, declaring that it shall not change. Jesus will do his Father's will. It is guaranteed. And I like guarantees because this world is so fickle and there's no guarantees, but I am so fickle too. And I just like something that's solid. And everything about Jesus and his work is sure. It's written in stone. It will not fail. Even if Moses is frustrated and tries to smash these, God's faithfulness will continue. Isn't that cool? So what's the big deal with the Sabbath? Resting on the Sabbath is a picture for you and for me today on the way that we are supposed to respond to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It pictures what living by humility and faith look like. So the question for you today to consider is, am I resting in what Jesus has done? And I got some questions to help us with that uh, query. Um, These are some reasons that we might not choose to rest in what Jesus has done. These are some heavy things that weigh us down and keep us from the rest that Jesus has worked for us. You ever carried a backpack on a long camping trip? And you know when you take that backpack off after you've hiked up this big hill and, uh, and you take off your big backpack, what does it feel like? Yeah, right? It's like you can feel like you can jump like so high and, and you feel so strong and like mighty and like, oh, Okay, that's what your life with Christ is supposed to feel like. The great burden being lifted off to you. But there's some things that can feel this, that can make you feel like the heavy backpack. So I'm going to give you five things that I think are weigh us down and keep us from trusting in his finished work. Okay, number one, it could be pride. Could be, that could be one thing. We won't uh, want to admit that we need Jesus to sacrifice that much for us. We just, we like when we're counted on and when we deliver, when we come through. 
We like the feeling of being sufficient. I could do that. You can do it. We like that. And that's called pride, self-sufficiency. And it is absolutely going to keep us from experiencing his rest. Okay, number two, it could be doubt. You know, we could struggle to believe that Jesus would really love us so much. We see how wicked and vile we are, and we deem it impossible that anyone, especially a holy God, could truly love us or even like us. So we, we doubt that God really likes us that much. Because what I'm hearing is that God loves me so much And that just blows my mind because nobody's ever loved me that much. Number three, it could be another form of doubt that we don't believe Jesus was really good enough. In other words, we we don't really think he accomplished all the work that he said he was going to do. You know, all that he said he did. This is the person who's like, "Ah, I'm not sure Jesus really existed. I'm not really sure he died on the cross. And if he did die on the cross, meh, who cares? Lots of people died on the crosses. And, and, and so they think maybe something got messed up in translation and it was all just a pipe dream of some crazy cult leaders. Uh, you know, all these leaders that ended up giving their lives to seal their testimony with their own blood, who they all affirmed every word was actually true and not a single secular source even wrote a rebuke saying it didn't happen the way they said it happened. Yeah, all those people are crazy and God is a liar. So that's another thing that can weigh us down. Um, If we think God is crazy and a liar, then we're not going to experience his rest. Fourth thing it could be, it could be pain. That could be keeping us from experiencing rest. You might have experienced so brutal and such hurtful things that it seems impossible to get past it. So emotional and, and physical pain even can seem like a wall that nothing can get through, especially the rest. I can't get over to his rest, or his rest can't come to me because I'm just in so much pain. And then the fifth thing, it could be, probably is, idols. Idolatry. We won't let go of things that we hold on to. In other words, we keep our backpack on. So dumb. The things we turn to to bring us what we think is rest and comfort. Oh, I got to just do this because it's so awesome. These things make us feel loved or in control or wanted. All these idols. Things that we enjoy so much, we start to really feel like we get our worth and our value from them. Anything we say, life is not really worth living if I don't have Fortnite. If I don't have if I don't have my spouse, if I don't have my kids, if I don't have a job, if I don't have health, all if you say my life is not worth living, then that thing has become an idol. If Jesus is your God, then he makes life worth living. And if we really don't think that Jesus is worth living, his life is worth our life, then we're not going to experience his blessings, his rest, his peace. Idolatry. God refuses to allow us to experience his peace and rest 
if we choose to partake in idolatry. And this can happen in so many uh, little devious ways that we're like, oh, I just realized I've been completely obsessed about this thing and I really feel like nothing matters in my life except this thing, getting a house or getting a job or this, that, or the other. It can be so tricky. But when God finally opens our eyes and we see the idolatry, a lot of times it's because we weren't experiencing his rest. Wait a second, I'm just feeling stressed out right now. Why am I so stressed out? Maybe it's because we've been holding on to an idol. And if we just confess that to the Lord and say, take this from me, I don't want to turn to this, I want to turn to you instead, a lot of times that peace comes rushing in right away. All right, so I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2, and it's going to just blow your mind with how wonderful it is. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay off every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the work he did? He went to the cross. And then, now is he still working? No, he's sitting at the right hand of God. He says, for us, the whole point of Hebrews, he says, lay aside all those backpacks. No matter which one it is, let nothing be on you except what Jesus did and what Jesus has done, the work he did. That's the way. Looking unto Jesus. He was happy to do his work. The Father is moved with mercy and grace because of his work. And all we have to do is believe his work. And then he um, has given all us everything that we need for life and godliness when we believe. All that we will ever need or desire is free and abundant in Jesus alone. So, if number one was yours, if that's the reason why you're not experiencing his rest, we have to confess our pride and lay it aside. And he will give grace to the humble, he says. Say, God, I do need you. I can't do this on my own. If number two is your problem, I, I have to confess my doubt and lay it aside. He actually will do what he said he would do for me. He really has done it already. It is done. It is finished. Confess that we doubt. Even if it's, I don't even think, Jesus, you, you existed. Just say that. I don't, I am struggling with that. But Jesus, I want to believe. Help my own belief. Okay, what if it's pain? What if I get headaches all day long and never, ever get relief? What if I'm just in so much physical pain or emotional pain? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how my parents treated me. You don't know how much I've hurt. We need to confess that pain. You don't confess it because you're wrong for being in pain. That's not the kind of confession we're saying. I'm saying confess it, tell God about it. Don't let it be a wall between you and God. I don't want to talk to God because I have a headache. Confess it to God. God, I have a headache. God, I'm in so much pain right now. And he understands it all. He understands everything we've been hurt by. And he will bring healing and mercy because he's a merciful God. 
and he can hardly keep his hand of mercy held back while his child cries to him. Could you? And you're terrible sinners. And you call, go to your children when they cry. Imagine God's compassion when his child calls out to him. God will respond. Keep crying out to him. But a lot of times we just don't believe it. We don't believe the scriptures that he will wipe every tear from our eye, that he will take my pain upon himself just to give me relief. Yet that's his promise. Do we believe? We can confess that we don't, and he'll help us. I must confess also my idols. His love is jealous, and he will not share us with our TVs. And he will not share us with our jobs, and he will not share us with our spouses or with our children. He loves you too much. There is nothing we can put before him. Why do I hang on to these idols when his love is so passionate for me? Do our idols love us? No. Has any man ever met the expectations of his wife? No. (laughs) Has any wife, has any car ever just met that deep part of my soul that needs something? Has any jobs completely satisfied someone? No. These idols don't care about you. They want to suck life out of you. And God says, I am here because I actually stinking love you. I really love you. So let me love you. Let me love you. Let me be the one that you turn to when you're hurting, when you have a bad day, when you're struggling, and when you need something. Come to me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy, and I will just pour life into you. I am never going to steal life from you like all our idols do. Stealing life. Jesus will never do that. Okay, so that's what the rest in the Sabbath is. You and me, we have a choice today whether we're going to keep the Sabbath. And it has nothing at all to do with a day. And if you think it does, then you've missed the whole point and you're breaking the Sabbath. Literally, if you think that keeping the day, the work of keeping the not working day, if you think that that matters to God, you have missed the entire point of the Sabbath and you're breaking the Sabbath. It is not about a day. Seventh-day Adventists are very wrong in their theology when it comes to this. And many, many Christians and other religions, they all have it wrong because faith in Christ is really rare. Putting your hope in Jesus alone, the path is narrow that leads to salvation, but the road is wide that leads to destruction, guys. And it's good to just love on each other here, to be a small group that we can really care for each other and exhort each other Are we putting our faith in Christ alone? Amen? All right, we got a couple songs we can sing to rejoice in all that God has has, uh, spoken to us. So we got communion available during this time, and that's something Jesus asked us to do to remember his work. How about that? (laughs) remembering his work is what this is all about. So we have bread that remembers how his work, his body was broken for us. We have wine to remember his blood that paid the price for our new life. So please stand with me. Let's sing some songs. Let's rejoice in all that Christ has done for us.
and love one another as the, as the day goes on. God bless you all. I love you guys. And let's sing.